This season, turn it up to 10. Sort of like a bad habit, we gon' do it again. Ready or not, we're gonna tie up some ends. Go tell a 36, try to grab all the friends. We're back like we never left. On track like a treble clef. Skip a beat on the seventh rest. Bring feast, we don't pass them over. We got the first fruits, no way to show us. Can't live on that bread alone. Every word of God's mouth will fuel me on. That's scripture, that's Christ alone. That's grace alone, that's faith alone. All glory to God, cause that's his alone. Since the land's been slain, we can each belong. The Lord is my strength, my peace, and my song. It'll lay it all down at the feet of his throne. This yoke is easy, this burns light. Even with a loud mouth trying to eat at the mic. Even if we down south, the humidity spike. Fails torn in two, so we gon' be alright. It's all grace till the half goes off. Heretics better run till the top blows off. Got them all stood still like a job full of Botox. Time to bring them down like a jaw on a blow pop. Don't stop, they're in need of it though. Through grace, by faith, they could easily grow. New wave, new age, new way to see bro. Now, one truth, life, one way to his throne. Son, it's the year of the feast, we gon' grow some Time to put some meat on the bones Gotta put the milk down, son, it's time to leave home I'm just saying there's a time in the season You gotta be a Berean If you just hear and believe it, you could be walking with demons It could be rendering season All the things that go to God, that's a little like treason Wait, welcome back, my friends Did you ever really think we could pass the 10? Our stock's up, we about to trend Cause the whole 36 wanna rap again Wait, sounds too good to be true Like we're bending candy land, ain't no ladders, just shoot We hold true, if it's older than the cannon Best believe it's understanding, if it's not, it ain't proof like sacred name of the two house frame ears start to tickle then you fill it in the blanks you better not you be better off not trying to hassle hop you can take it to the bank this night ready he's about to go off put the ring on your finger from the cracker jack box it's hide and seek let's see if you can find out all the little messages you hit before the timeout ever seen a scholar with a blue belt i have he's about to make your food melt the loud one and he strikes again but don't let him close range he gonna bite your friends so relax gotta still in control he knows every care every village you hold he knows every hair every need for your soul Nothing new around here, this story's been told I bet you feel weak and your life is in tatters With bruised feet, your body is battered You can't reach, trying to climb up that ladder Sit back and hold fast to Messiah Matters Wednesday, February 14th, 2024. This is Messiah Matters number 461. Keep your eyes peeled for a good show title. My name is Caleb Haig. And uh, I'm Rob Van Hoff. 
See, Rob Cricket doesn't have anything. To, Rob doesn't have anything today because he is too busy in the chat room. I see you in there, man. I already I'm, see you in there. I'm closing it out right now, homie. Uh -huh. It's uh -huh. gone. All right. Sorry, y'all. I, I for, just for, for those who don't know, you know what I mean. Rob, for me, it's like that well well worn track on the highway. Like your car just wants to get in it. For those who have not been with this show for very long, what happens is Rob is a brilliant scholarly mind who can only do one thing at a time. And so when he is focused on the chat room, he's not a host of this show anymore. He's, he's gone. Honey, honey, yeah, exactly. dinner, <laughs> dinner time. I've been, what? I've been, I've been what? playing chess. I've been playing chess online and now, Lacasia will say to me, can you please stop playing chess and just right here? Come on. <laughs> All right. <laughs> All right. Good, good woman. What's up, everybody? And uh, hello up? to everyone in the chat room. Oh, look, Erna's in the chat room. Hi, Erna. Good to see you. I was thinking about you just the other day. Okay. To chegatorresource.com, uh, C-H-E-G-G-A-T-O-R-E-S-O-R-C-E-S-O-R-C-E-S-O-R-C-E-S-O-R-C-E-S-O-R-C-E-S-O-R-C-E-S-O-R-C-E-S-O-R-C-E-
In other words, if my dad does something wrong, am I then cursed? Now, we're not going to talk about that now. That's a taste of what's to come, right? You Like, that's, that's yeah, just a taste. Yeah, but that's enough right there to fire up the chat room. And, and <laughs> FYI, I've already closed it out. So all right, all right, good. Remove thy temptation. Like if your yes. hand causes you to sin, cut it off, kind of thing. Throw your like, keyboard out. That's <laughs> okay. So we won't go not there the, right no, now. Chat room, not sin. I don't mean that. I'm just so one of our somebody just lobbed up a softball for us. Just just right down the middle. Right. That's what we're gonna do right now. We're gonna we're gonna right down the middle. It. Here we go. Now. Granted, this was like a four-minute, three-minute uh, voicemail, so I clipped it. You'll hear the clips. Sorry about that, but I just wanted to get it down to a reasonable, uh, to get the question right, and here we go. Hey there. Uh, my name is Susie, and I Hi, have Susie. been deep in the archives studying um, the Passover Passion Week, and I know this has been a topic that you guys have spoken and taught extensively on. Give me just one second since she men mentioned it. Lots of places to send you here. You can go to pronomian.com. I did a whole article on the chronology of the passion. That work was based on two major scholars. Number one is my father, Tim Hegg, who also did a huge article, which is found on Torah Resource on the chronology of the passion. And then Brant Petrie, who is a Roman Catholic, believe it or not, but a uh, an interesting scholar to read nonetheless. He wrote a book called... Caleb, you even broke bread with... Uh, Dr. Petrie, didn't you? I did. Jesus in the Last Supper is his book. He's got Denny's. other books too, where he's trying to push the mass yeah. as the as, continuation of the Passover, but right. we don't need to follow him down that trail. There's a lot of things we don't need to follow him down. Uh, and that's fine. The, the, the point is, is that uh, he wrote this book in the book when he talks about the chronology is dynamite. It is really good. And so uh, I would, I would, suggest taking that up. Anyway, so lots of places you can go. And then of course, we we interviewed Dr. Petrie as well. I believe it's show 167 or 16, I think it's 167. Wow, it's, like 300 shows ago? Because we're yeah. like 460 something. Yeah, so it's it's in the 160s. 300 and, shows uh, ago. Yep. Wow. I think it uh, it has like the uh, I think like the third most views on uh, of our videos on, on on our channel right now, so it, it's well worth the watch. Anyway, let's keep going with Susie's uh, comment here. And um, something I am stumbled on is um, the bread that Yeshua uh, broke at the at the meal. Um, it is the Greek word artos. And the Greek word for unleavened bread is azimos. I think that's how you say it. So um, I'm curious how to reconcile that and how is that just a, um, wh why wouldn't the author have used unleavened bread? Okay, great question. It's a question that uh, has, n you're not the first to ask this question. In fact, uh, this question has been going around since the early 1900s. And uh, I think we talked about this on a show when we had my father on and we were uh, looking at uh, Zach Bauer's five nails in the coffin of why the Passover or the uh, Last Supper is not a Passover meal, which um, we just totally disagree. It's called a Passover. Here, you know, as I was pondering this question, 
I just, I honestly, now I know they're out there and I know that there are wonderful God fearing Bible believing Christians who, and, and believers, Torah observant believers who honestly believe like Zach Bauer, who honestly believe that the, uh, that the last supper was not a Passover, that it was a meal before the Passover. Um, I just don't understand how you can, uh, reconcile the synoptic gospels that say that the Passover lambs are being slaughtered right? It was the time of the slaughtering of the Passover lambs, which had to be Nisan 14. Also, Yeshua calls it a Passover. He says, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you. And the the way that they try to get around this, the way they dance around this one is they say, well, he's talking about the meal that's coming up the next night, right? It just doesn't, it doesn't make any sense. However, I'm going to go ahead and just uh, answer this one, and then you can you can ice the cake, as it were. I'm going to give you a uh, you a bake book. That, it. I'll I'll uh, I'll boom. decorate it. There we go. So I'm going to give you the uh, the book that uh, I found to be very helpful. This was written, I believe, in the '60s or the '70s, and then translated into English in the '70s. Joachim Jeremias. Boom. The Eucharistic words of Jesus. As you can see, I have all sorts of bookmarks in there, right? So I like this one. This is a good one. If you've done any work on the Eucharistic Caleb words Caleb has actually of, had that book since the 60s. So yes, exactly. Know. Yes, he exactly. Brand new. Um, if you've done any work on the Last Supper, if you've done any work on the uh, Eucharistic words of, of Jesus, as they are commonly called within scholarship, you will have read this book because it is the standard and everyone has to uh, interact with it to do work uh, on the subject. This is on page 62 under the title Objections. It's number one. Okay. He says, ever since a short study by J. Wellhausen appeared in 1906, it has been frequently contended that the Last Supper could not have been a Passover meal because Mark 14.22 speaks of bread, artos, whereas only unleavened bread, osmos, uh, osma, uh, could properly be used in describing a Passover meal. So exactly the, uh, the objection that we have here. Okay, so uh, let me skip just a little bit. As a matter of fact, the contention that unleavened bread cannot be called bread is incorrect. Quite uh, apart from the po that the possibility of mere inaccuracy in the report when Mark fourteen twenty two and following speaks of bread, or from the fact that the Eucharistic practice of the earliest churches, which used ordinary leavened bread, might have led to some inaccuracy of expression, it has been stated that the words lechem and artos could be used of both leavened and unleavened bread. We see this from the biblical text as well. It can further be shown that it was quite the common practice to call unleavened bread simply bread, lechem or artos. Decisive proof of this in view of the extraordinary abundance of testimony is the description of the 12 loaves of showbread which were arranged on their special table in the sanctuary of the temple. We know for certain that the showbread That's was artos, unleavened. Yeah. Yeah, a fact not mentioned prob probably by accident in the Old Testament, but reported uh, unanimously by Philo, Josephus, and the Talmud. So um, I, I will not keep going. He writes two, pa two more pages on this, showing abundant proof from the first century writings that uh, bread is oftentimes t titled artos. Beyond this, even in our... Now, I don't want you to think that I'm uh, associating one or the other. But uh, because it would be horrifically anachronistic for us to say that something today could shed light on something in the first century. However, what I will say is this, even in today's Seder, what do you say? In the, in the Passover Seder today, 
they say, uh, Blessed are you, Adonai, our God, King of the universe, who brings forth bread from the earth. Why? Because bread, lechem or artos, is a reference to all bread. Not only all bread, but it's a reference also to all food. So you can say, you could translate that, blessed are you, Adonai, our God, King of the universe, who brings forth bread from the earth. Or you could also translate it, blessed are you, Adonai, our God, King of the universe, who brings forth food from the earth. The notion that this somehow would say that that uh, the the writers of the first century got this wrong, that they, you know, it was a Passover and they accidentally used the word artos or something like that, simply does not line up with the fact that artos is used throughout the first century to refer to both bread and unleavened bread. And we see this as far back as the Torah. Rob? This is a great example of people who have like a gotcha verse mentality and they pounce on it like oh artos they look it up i don't think Susie's trying to do that but no way. no no i get that oh totally not at all I, I i mean like the other people we've talked about who advance this it's like they they have this flag and they run up the hill and then they realize it's like oh it's a cliff i don't think they've they realized all over the cliff <laughs> i think that a lot of people who push this are still i mean and just a quick search on online will show you that this is still an argument that is being used by people today to try to say that the passover was, or that the last supper was not a passover meal keep going yeah so just <laughs> but it's pretty easy to remember um so thank you susie for the for the message it's 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 a fair question even though like we've talked about people are wrongly advocating it um just for your own equipment um the Septuagint in when God gives the manna in Exodus 16, it's just called Artos. The manna is called Artos. It, Moses says, God's giving you Artos from heaven to eat. Okay. So it's just, it doesn't mean it was loaved, loaves of leavened bread, right? He's just Another throwing down bakery loaves. The bread, of, <laughs> the lechem panim, the bread of the presence, like Caleb uh, cited there, is called Artos. And then also um, uh, Deuteronomy 16, verse 3, I think, it's that unleavened bread is literally called artos of affliction. It's the artos of affliction. So That's right. Deuteronomy 16, 3 of the Septuagint literally, literally uses artos to describe the Passover bread. So that's just easy. You could just, you know... Put those on a business card and just kind of say, kindly hand them out to people yeah. who are like, here's some verses for you to look at. Yeah. Uh, I, I, and this is, so once again, this is not a dig on Susie in any way, shape or form. And the reason why is because this same question comes up probably once every three years or so. We answer this question again and again. And uh, the reason why and is because- that's what we're here for. We're here to hold, well, and hold the line. It's not just that. The, the The fact is, is that people who are claiming such an objection online continue to do so. And that tells me that people are putting out their, uh, you know, people hear me say, even at the beginning of the show, you know, I think my, my view has changed on this. That's because we're constantly trying to screw down the bolts on certain, uh, you know, certain theologies and arguments that we might be talking about. This is one that people will state the facts, but they, it's like they've never looked into it. And the reason why is because, as I said, this, uh, this book, The Eucharistic Words of Jesus, this, I think, is probably the standard book that everyone, it's like, 
you might disagree with it completely 100%, but you will, you will address it if you're, if you're writing on, you know, on the Eucharist within, within a scholarly world. Yeah. He's, he's given it a lot of careful attention and, right. and it, you, at your own peril, just like, I mean, any of these people advocating that if they would have just glanced at, at, at the com- common objections page, you pick up the, gone, the, oh, I, I guess, I guess I'll cross that one off my, yeah. uh, yeah, you One look list. at the the main textbook of every you know of every uh, every class that you'd ever take on this subject, which is this book. You just look for the objections, and it's number one. So I mean, it just shows that the uh, a lot of the people who are making these objections are not uh, are not they're not. And this might not this it might not necessarily be their fault because they might not know where to look or they might not be have access to you know a lot of the main scholarship. But the point is is that uh, it 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 shows a lack of of um, I think it shows for for the people who are advocating this uh, in a you know in articles and whatnot. I think it shows a lack of of uh, research uh, on the subject. Yeah, you know, and this is this this got my attention. He cited. Julius Wellhausen, it sounded like. That's right. From 100 years ago, you know, early 1906. Early 1900s. Wellhausen, if that's, I mean, Julius Wellhausen is responsible for the documentary hypothesis. He's the, he's right. the guy that advanced in the 19th century that the Torah is written by, by it's, it's Four like authors. patchwork. It's right. a patchwork of different sources from later times. And then you could use, you know, like you could look for, Elohim or Yodivafe and other kind of vocab as code words to which sources you can cut the text up into. And that even to suggest they have different theologies and they're trying. And it's like, so is this guy really someone I want to listen to? You know, he's also advocating that the Last Supper can't be a Pesach meal. It's like, yeah, come on. Anyway. So uh, th- there's a there's a great question in here. Is it Yika Jika? I, I'm butchering the name, and I apologize for that. Um, they say why the interest in it not being a Passover. This is a great question, and it's actually an important question, I believe. Oh, oh, we uh, we froze. This might happen multiple times today. Um, I don't know what's going on with my system, but I keep freezing Rob's camera. Anyway, okay, so this is an important question to, to, to uh, talk about when it comes to the chronology of the passion. The reason why is because many people have not, um, have not read the work by Petrie or my father or uh, people who are now starting to pick up Petrie's work. Okay. And, and the, uh, you know, this chronology. And so what people are seeing is they're seeing a, a contradiction, a contradiction in the text. They're seeing a contradiction between what they believe is uh, the synoptic gospels. So all three synoptic gospels, which they believe comes from one or two witnesses of the same witnesses, right? So they're all using the same witness in in their chronology as opposed... So in that view, the synoptic gospels are seen as one witness. They're not seen as three different witnesses, Matthew, Mark, Luke. They're seen as one witness, okay? So you have one witness, and then you have John, who is a firsthand uh, witness of the events, Okay, and he is, uh, in this view, he's opposed. He is, he's he, he's opposed to he's the, like, nah, to the other that's view. not how it happened. <laughs> exactly, you got your days wrong. Is what is what this view is saying, and so uh, many scholars up until the two two thousands uh, held to one or the other. You were either you either held to the synoptic hypothesis or you held to the Johannine hypothesis. And one said that uh, Yeshua ate, so the synoptic hypothesis says that you uh, they ate the Passover and that the next day on the 15th, 
of Nisan, Yeshua was crucified. Whereas the uh, Johannine hypothesis says, no, Yeshua came into Jerusalem early. It's the 13th of, ne- 13th of Nisan. He knows he's not going to be able to celebrate the Passover. So he has an early banquet meal with his, with his disciples on the 13th of Nisan. And then he is then crucified while the lambs are being slain the next day. And the unfortunate part about this is that if you're going to take either one of those, what you're saying is to take the synoptic hypothesis is to say the Johannine hypothesis is wrong. He did it for other reasons. Maybe it's he he wrote it because he's trying to be theological. And whereas the if you take the Johannine hypothesis, then it is saying, well, the synoptic uh, account is wrong. They got their days wrong. And so no matter what, you're saying that the scriptures are wrong in one way, shape, or form. What Petrie and my father and others have done now is they've said, no, no, no. If we understand the language of John, actually, he says the exact same thing as the synoptics. He's just using language that the Jews in the first century understand. And then it maps this language and says, look, they're all the same. And because of of, uh, such work, you have uh, very good scholars now looking at Petrie's uh, chronology and saying, you know what, there's something here, and we need to rethink the idea of Johannine versus synoptic hypothesis. And we're glad they're rethinking. Absolutely. Absolutely. But the point is, is why the interest in it not being a Passover is because people are, the people who are advocating for it not being a Passover meal are attempting to take the Johannine hypothesis and run with it. And they're trying to, they're trying to say, this is the right hypothesis. What is the main push for the Johannine hypothesis? I can tell you the main push is that people think that Yeshua had to be slaughtered or had to be crucified at the same time as the slaughtering of the lambs. I don't know why people think that the text never says that. Um, we can look at other sacrifices like the Yom Kippur sacrifice, we can or the or the uh, or the Sukkot sacrifices. Did Yeshua fulfill these? Absolutely. Was he crucified at those times? Absolutely not. So uh, there's no there's no debate about that. Yet people have no problem with that. So it's really a uh, it's really a, a, a incorrect view to think that uh, he had to be slaughtered. He had to be crucified at the same time the lambs were being slaughtered. Um, anyway, okay. Let's move on. Before we do, I'll just give Plus, you these again. I would say one more thing. It Go gives ahead. you, it gives somebody uh, a, like, something to say. Oh, yeah, you Christians who are keeping Passover, yeah, you don't even know. <laughs> like it, it, it gives them an angle of, like, of, what do you call it, um, complaint, right? It gives them, like, a, a complaint against yeah, I mean, I, I I find it interesting that within the, uh, you know, the the push against modern Christianity and and just Christianity in general from the Torah movement has really made people not look at the evidence. You know, you'll get uh, every single year, every single year around Passover, we get these same charts from one nineteen ministries and from other you know other places that have Yeshua dying on a Wednesday or you know he was he was you know he had his dinner on on Wednesday and he was it's crucified on a Thursday other, they, they can they can make a mean graphic they can definitely <laughs> make a mean graphic but it's like I had to like, stop I, I used to I used to actually type out you know I used to people because tons of people in my feeds will repost these these uh these graphics and I would take time to sit down and be like, no, this this can't be right. This is why the, you know, John specifically says it was a Friday. Like the word for Friday in the first century was this, and he uses that word, blah, blah, blah. 
And nobody listened. Nobody cared. Nobody, you know, people, oh, no, 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 you're, you're totally out to lunch. It's like, okay. So now I don't even, I don't even bother. It's like, you know what? People can believe what they want to believe. That's totally fine. Uh, but the question that I get the most, the question that I get the most is why does it, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if, if one person believes that the Johannine, uh, you know, in a Johannine chronology or a synoptic chronology or whatever you believe in. And the answer is that is actually not true. There, in the long scheme of things, sure, I, you know, it, it's not going to determine salvation or anything like that. But number one, you're talking about the inerrancy of scripture. Does the scripture line up with itself? And the answer is yes, it does. So it matters for that reason. But the biggest reason for me is because within Luke 22, what you have is several, not just one, several declarations of deity. Yeshua calls himself in in various ways, calls himself yod heh he, he declares himself to be God in the flesh. And he does that. And it's not hard to see if you understand how all these things line up and the words that, and the Greek words that he is, that are being used in that text. It's not hard to see. Um, especially when he says, do this in remembrance of me. This is, this is a declaration, the, the statement itself is a declaration of deity. And if you say that it's not a Passover meal, guess what? All of that goes out the window. N none of that matters anymore. So, okay, let's move on. We have spent a half an hour now. Should we move on to a main topic or should we move on to something else? Main topic? Main. Let's go. What? Yeah, let's go okay. main topic. This this will take up a lot of time. Now we might freeze Rob and his video for just a second, so just bear with us here. Looks like he is not frozen yet. Um, okay, here we go. Let's all take a listen. I find it more difficult then to understand how the covenant of circumcision wouldn't still continue today. We can simplify it as promising basically two things: a numerous seed who would inherit the land of Canaan. And it promised that one of his offspring would bless the nations. Much of it can sound unconditional. When God delivers the law to Moses, it's repeated again and again and again. Israelites, you must obey this law. You must obey this covenant so that I can fulfill my promise to Abraham. So the first generation disobeys the old covenant and they're destroyed in the wilderness, but God spares their children. Why? Because Moses intercedes and he says, God, you haven't fulfilled your promise to Abraham. And right. so the, the promise made to Abraham kind of acts as this buffer where the old covenant curses are not fully poured out. Solomon's dedication to the temple, it says that he made them as numerous as the stars of heaven and the seas of the sand shore, exactly what he promised Abraham. Mm -hmm. And he gave them rest and he recounts the, the boundaries. He has fulfilled that promise. Solomon didn't obey God's law. The kingdom was torn in two. The 10 northern tribes, they're gone. They're done away with, they're wiped out because they bore the curse of the old covenant because that promise to Abraham concerning them had been fulfilled. There is nothing left to hold it back. The question is, why didn't that happen to Judah? That's because we've got still the second Abrahamic promise that wasn't fulfilled yet. That was the promise that Christ would be born. And that's ultimately what God promised to David. He narrowed that promise from Abraham, Isaac, Jacob to David. And so it's the tribe of Judah who is now spared because that second promise hasn't been fulfilled. The other 10 tribes aren't spared because that second promise isn't going to be fulfilled through them. And then what do we see yeah. once okay. Christ is born, that second Abrahamic promise has been fulfilled. Mm. What happens to Judah and Jerusalem? Yeah, they're destroyed completely. They're destroyed. Yeah. The wrath is poured out. Now they bear the curse of the old covenant. And so that has come to an end. The two Abrahamic promises have been fulfilled. 
There's nothing left for it to accomplish. It's done its purpose. God has fulfilled his promises. There's nothing left of it. There's so much here. There's okay, can, just can, so can much I go here. First well, on this well one? you you can, but hang on. I just want to give some kudos here. First of all, I'm not aware of who the who these gentlemen are, and uh, I they they are they look very familiar to me. So I know that they are that they are in the mainstream of of uh, of uh, theology within the Calvinist. I I believe they're reformed. Okay, reformed theologians. Um, I will give I will give kudos where kudos are due. The, the gentleman on the bottom who is uh, who was talking, um, uh, he's done. He's he has given the best explanation I've ever heard from a Christian on why circumcision is done away with. That I will well, it's, uh, I'll it's give him that. the best story. I wouldn't say explanation because it's not Fair. actually... Fair. Ex- Go. It, it, Go, it's Rob. It's the best story. And so, yeah, agreed. I think this is a great... It, it's the... Yeah, it's the best story. That, uh, But here's the thing. I, I, I'll just pick a couple and then you can pick a couple. Please. The first is he equates covenantal curses with done away right and what's so crucial what we know from the torah and from the scriptures is that the blessings and the curses both are uh defined by the covenant for example sure solomon strayed etc solomon's temple was destroyed and the like daniel 9 it says we are you know the curses of the of the law are upon us you know we've we've uh rejected the message of your prophets and it's you are righteous we are we are in the wrong you are right for your mercy remember us etc i'm totally paraphrasing and butchering daniel 9 but the point is the covenant also promises restoration after the punishment so it, never never right. in the in the law or the prophets or the writings or the apostolic writings, never is God's covenant with Israel defined in a way that the curses mean over with. What it means, it's disciplinary period to restore back. That's the promise. Okay, so that's one. So that's a a crucial error of this little wonderful packaged with a nice bow story. The other is he he cites of uh, the multitude and he says at Solomon's temple it says that he had ful- he had brought him uh, as a number of the stars of the sky he had fulfilled that well guess what he failed he kind of covered up or he just didn't research it but Deuteronomy one opens up right it's Moses at the end of his life they're looking into the land they're not entering yet what does he say. The Lord your God has multiplied you, and behold, you are this day like the stars of heaven in number. And may the Lord, the God of your fathers, increase you a thousandfold more than you are and bless you just as he promised. They haven't even entered the land yet. Moses is still alive, and he's saying, you're you're like the stars of the sky in number. So what this guy, by, by making that a point and, and tying that down to under the time of King Solomon totally misses the the parents in Deuteronomy 1 of this you would say oh it's fulfilled right I, I see what you're saying, and 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 the 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 one of the things people might think that I'm nitpicking here, but he says, you know, they wandered in the in the desert because they broke the because they were under the the curse of breaking the law. That's not what that's not what happened. They rejected the land grant covenant. 
they rejected the covenant, the Abrahamic covenant, essentially, to go into the land. That's why, not because the, not because right. of the golden calf I, issue. As a body, true, but Joshua and Caleb didn't. Right, but I, but my point so, is, so, is that right. but that my point is that they come back to the land after forty years, new generation, and what? Then they accept the land grant covenant. So the the covenant of like the covenant of circumcision, as he's trying to do away with here, doesn't even come to fruition. They, Israel doesn't even accept it until long after the wandering. And when they yeah. accept it, exactly what you're saying. It's at this point Moses is saying, "Look, you're as numerous as the you know." So it fulfilled. Then they haven't even. They haven't even entered the land yet. Well, and not only that, Joshua is going to circumcise all the males. Right. After Moses is <laughs> Right. Death. Yeah, exactly. So this guy doesn't <laughs> understand like basic chronology. Does he not understand or, or, or no, wait, hang on. Let's, let's, let's be careful here. I don't think that it's a not understanding. In fact, I want to give him credit here for, for attempting, but, but here's the point. You're never going to be able to uh, get re- rid of things that God doesn't want to get rid of. It's just not going to work. And what I believe this man has done, uh, and he seems very sincere in it, but I, I believe what he has done is he's taken uh, decades of Christian theology. And instead of looking at the Bible and saying, what does it say? He has now tried to cram theological tradition into the Bible. He's, he's trying to make the Bible say what he already believes, which is that circumcision is done away with. And the unfortunate thing is, is that this will never, like, this isn't going to work for him because that's not what the Bible says. Well, and one thing I do like, I like that he ties it to the Messiah. So that's good. Like talking about the covenant of circumcision and Messiah. Yes. Let's talk about that for a second, because that's one of the things that I, that I wanted to say was, as I was listening to this, I, you know, I've argued, once again, you can find this on pronomian.com. I have argued that circumcision, I think you can find it on Torah resource or maybe in the book. Anyway, um, I have argued that circumcision is a sign. And I took this, I, I rewrote basically my dad's, uh, take on this, uh, that, that circumcision is a sign of the virgin birth. It is a sign of the, that the, that the, in your seat, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. It comes through a virgin birth that the male, the male organ of procreation is taken out of the equation and that God is the one who, who, who does it. So whether the Jews know it or not, the non-believing Jews know it or not, we as as uh, followers of the God of Israel, we put the mark of the Messiah into our flesh. We have we we bear the mark of the Messiah in our flesh, and I just do not understand why any Christian would want to take that away. We are bearing the mark of the one that we say has saved us. So why would you not want to be- to carry that mark? And maybe the answer is, well, Paul does away with it. We, I think everyone who, who listens to this show knows that, that we, we thoroughly disagree with this. But uh, I, 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 the, other, the other thing that I thought during this, and maybe I'm stepping on your toes here, Rob, but the other thing that I thought about this is that I think that this has to come from a place of uh, supersessionism, that, that the church has replaced Israel. And the reason why is because clearly in the prophecies, what you have is you have Israel coming into the land. You have Israel being the, you know, then all Israel will be saved, right? Israel is saved. Israel is the one that, that God is still upholding. The land is given to Israel as the prince is, is sacrificing in the temple and the Messiah is reigning, right? Israel is the one that, that holds the land. The Gentiles come in and attach themselves to the tribes of Israel, right? The new covenant is made with who? Israel and Judah, not the church, Israel and Judah. And so... I have to assume that these, all of these things that I've just mentioned, all of these things pertain to 
Israel, which means that the Abrahamic promise, the land grant promise given to Israel still applies today and will come to fruition as promised in the end. So this man has to believe in, I think he has to believe. I don't, maybe I'm wrong, but I don't know how else he would be able to see this. He has to believe that these promises now pertain to the church and not Israel, which is not what the scripture says. So to me, the land grant promise still has to take effect today. It's still, it's still in effect. It's still part of our belief. You take out any one of those spokes of the covenantal uh, system, you're going to have major issues, especially the Abrahamic promise. Okay, I'm sorry. That was a little bit of a tangent. No, that's Keep right. And, and, and you also, an, another problem set that this evokes, that this story just falls so short of, is explaining why would Luke, who wrote Luke Acts, like such an amazing two-volume work, right, detailing so many wonderful things, why would it be important for him to tell us that Paul circumcised Timothy. And then that we go on and we actually have two of Paul's letters to circumcised Timothy that are part of the canon. Like, like I think a lot of Christian pastors love first and second Timothy because they, yeah, they're, they're rich with, with theological meat and direction and clarity and exhortation. But, they do, do they ever realize it's like, oh, like who is the recipient of this letter? Like, oh, this is the guy who Paul circumcised. Like Luke made it a point to tell us this. And then it's like, well, unless Luke is trying to say, yeah, see, Paul made a mistake. Like he, Paul didn't have his theology right. And so he like, it was under pressure. It was like, it was like just for show. Like Paul circumcised Timothy for some reason other than covenantal, uh, just the simplicity of the commandment. It was some other motive. They have to go there because they can't affirm that Paul circumcised Timothy out of the simple obedience to the commandment. It, 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 my view is that Timothy wanted to be circumcised and he was uncertain what to do because he wasn't, he hadn't been as an infant and he had a, a, a uh, there was like a stigma, you know, in the community about him because his dad was Greek. And I know there's the, you know, the halakhic thing, is he truly Jewish, blah, blah, blah. People bring the later rabbinic stuff in. It doesn't even matter. The point is, Timothy had faith. Timothy's grandmother and mother were believers and he, from the, from his childhood, he knew the scriptures. I think Timothy's heart was he wanted to be circumcised and, and no one would do it because the Jewish community was like, eh, we don't know your story. You believe in this, you're part of this weird group. Paul comes and like, boom, nope. Circumcision is for him. And, uh, and I think for, it was extremely edifying for Timothy. But see, I, I don't think these guys would ever be able to see it that way. They, they have to say, oh, Paul was under pressure. But then that makes Paul like a Pharisee, not, not like Pharisee, just member of the sect, but like the hypocrite. Paul then is behaving like a hypocrite. So there's, there's a whole can of, you know, trouble that gets opened up with that. Also, if it's the false, if the people who are in Acts that are claiming Paul's teaching uh, 
parents not to circumcise their children anymore or not to keep the law of Moses. Is, are those false witnesses or are those true witnesses? Seems to me that, that Luke tells us those are false witnesses. Right. The people rallying up charges against Paul are spinning it in a way to, to fire up uh, hostility towards Paul. It's not true. Acts 21 says us, yeah, we know. Okay, you know, so he does the vow. Oh, well, there again, Paul was just, you know, being a hypocrite. Like, is that what Luke's trying to communicate to us, that Paul's a hypocrite? No, I don't believe that for a second. I mean, I think that uh, the whole—I think as soon as you attempt to do away with any one of the covenants, you're going to have major problems, because I don't believe that that's what the Scripture says. But— I mean, once again, we're talking, you know, we hear language that uh, clearly should not be used, things like old covenant, right? Um, and I think that this is not thought through. Now, I think I do have to give grace here. I think that this is a mainstream Christian term, right? We hear this even in scholarship, the old covenant, the old covenant, the old covenant. But there's no definition. They, they, they don't define what old covenant means to them. So we have to assume that what they're saying is the Old Testament, Right? And this brings in a whole slew of other problems, because guess what's in the uh, the old quote unquote Old Testament, the New Covenant. Um, there's there's a lot there's a lot there. Okay, Here, here's one more verse just from Jeremiah 31. Thus saith the Lord. This is the NASB 95, who gives the sun for light by day, and the fixed order of the moon and stars for light by night, who stirs up the sea so that its waves roar. Uh, Adonai Tzavot is his name. If, the, if this fixed order departs from before me, declares Adonai, then the offspring of Israel will cease from being a nation before me forever. Thus saith Adonai, if the heavens above can be measured and the foundations of the earth searched out below, then I will cast, also cast off all the offspring of Israel for all that they have done, declares Adonai. The, the point is, it's not going to happen. Right. So this but guy, the, but, that's, but that's what these people the are advocating for. Yeah, with done away, and that's that's a fatal uh, a mistake. There, it's a fatal it, blow to theology. I mean, it's a nice little story they tell. It's a fatal blow to theology, to their theology. You know, and and uh, maybe this will lead into our. So the, I think that uh, a good segue into our next conversation is going to be this term "old covenant." Because the, 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 and maybe this is a passing comment for other people that, that aren't, aren't familiar with, uh, with some of our past shows, but to not define the term old covenant means just, we have to assume that he means what old Testament. So then everything in the old Testament is done away with. What is, I, I don't understand how, like you, we would need that, that a gets definition. That you to your Andy Stanley. You got to unhitch it. Exactly. But it also gets unhitch us to the our, old Testament. It gets us to our next comments here. And this is from an anonymous, I think an anonymous, I don't remember the email, but an email sent to me. And the, and the, the person said, now I responded to this person in email and just asked some clarifying question. They, 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 uh, they began by saying, hey, uh, I've written this email a hundred times. Now I, I asked, does that mean you've written a hundred times to us and like you've rewritten it and rewritten it and tried to, to reword it? Or does it mean that you've written in this email numerous times to other ministries and other teachers, and, and you're just trying to get an overall consensus on this. So uh, this is what they say. I am looking only at the figure of Messiah, not if people should follow the law or anything like that. 
When we look at scripture, we see a Messiah that upholds the law and teaches others to do the same. I completely agree. This is what we see in Yeshua. He came to bring us access to the law. I, I pondered that statement right there, and, and I think I agree with that. I think what that means is like, uh, without, without Yeshua, we don't have, I'm reading into this, but this is what I think this means. I think what it means is without Yeshua, we don't have a covenant relationship, and therefore the laws, I mean, we are still under, everyone's held by the standard of the law, right? But ultimately, we're not able to keep the law unless it's done through faith in Messiah, right? All your, all your uh, sacrifices are fil- filthy rags before me, like they're a stench in my nostril, right? Well, why if it's the law? Well, if they're not done with the right heart through Christ, then what's, what's the point? So continuing on with this email. Within the majority of Christi- uh, Christian belief, they worship a Messiah or a Savior as one that came to take away the law, uh, take the law away from them. Looking again at scripture, we have a figure of the Antichrist. We can even look at the spirit of Antichrist that has been documented through history. He is the one that takes away the law, it takes the law away. He is even called the lawless one. I have a fear that the quote unquote savior, the the Christian church is worshiping, looks closer to the Antichrist than the Messiah in scripture that brings the law, the covenant to the people. Okay, so that is the, uh, that's the whole thing. Let's make sure that, okay. Um, Here are the questions that I would ask on this, and this might not be a long conversation, that's fine. Here's the questions that I'd ask on this. Let's take our brothers who uh, were in the previous video that we just watched, who uh, tried to do away with circumcision. Would I say that these men believe that there's no law at all? No, I wouldn't say that. I would say that it seems to me, just from the very little that I've seen in this, in this, uh, in this video, that not only do they have a zeal for the Lord, but that they are actively trying to work out their theology, and that they love the Lord. And that's the reason that they are moving to work out their theology. Do I think they're wrong in what they said? Sure, I do. That, I mean, I, a lot of people are going to th- think that I'm wrong in what I say. But the point is, is that it seems to me that they have a real zeal for, for following God and for trying to understand God better and therefore trying to work out their theology. And therefore, I would say, well, this is one of the reasons that I think they're, they're you know, I'm mixing these two, these two topics together. But one of the reasons that the, that the term Old Covenant is so problematic is because certainly these gentlemen are going to, if I ask them, is it okay for you to cheat on, their, on your wife? Is it okay for you to um, cross-dress? Is it okay for you to, uh, you know, lie, steal, cheat, whatever? Of course, these men, I have to assume, and the majority, and I'm using this person's uh, email uh, language now, the majority of Christianity is going to say the same. They're going to say, no, these things are wrong. Well, why are they wrong? They're wrong because we see them in the covenant. We see them in the, in, in the covenant that people are now calling the old covenant. I don't, I'm, I'm guessing. And so the point is, is that I don't see the, the, the people who are, uh, who love God and are trying to follow the almighty. I think that there is certainly some missteps. And I think getting and trying to do away with any part of any covenant is going to be a misstep. However, with that said, just because these gentlemen think that the that the uh, the sacrificial system has been done away with and that we won't ever see it again, if that's what they believe, doesn't mean that they think that all law is done away with. And so, when we see the quote the the Jesus that the Christian Church believes in, I would say that many of them see a very full picture of a law keeping uh, uh, Messiah. It, Read R.C. Sproul's work on uh, how Christians should view the law. 
The point is, is that I grant that there are several things, kosher, uh, festival, Sabbath, these are very important things, and I think that the church is coming around to the fact that they need to be keeping them. And I think that there are many people who are going to say that they shouldn't be kept. However, this is not the totality of the law, and it's not the totality of Christ's teaching on the law. And so because of this, I would say I, I, I am not sure I fully agree that the, that the uh, Yeshua, that the Christian church is worshiping, at least, at least the true believers, is a different Messiah or a Messiah that is not the right Messiah from the scriptures. Rob? No, I, I hear that. I, I know this last week there was a lot of uproar about this uh, Hobby Lobby partially funded Super Bowl ad cool. of uh, He Gets Us. And it has all these people washing each other's feet from like, and think in front of a, like a pro-choice clinic and uh, someone who's obviously looks like they're like trans or, or, you know, alternative deviant lifestyle kind of thing. And it seemed to just be this message of affirmation of, of the identities movement. Like that somehow G Jesus gets us, comes across as he affirms everybody where they are. And that's just not the God of the Bible. The God of the Bible doesn't just doesn't affirm people where they are. That it, we have to change because God won't change. And um, especially with the foot washing, it's completely divorced from the context of discipleship, particularly around the Passover meal. Right. It's it's just people washing each other's feet out in the middle of, you know, and it's like, what is going on here? What's this Jesus that's being, uh, you know, I think it was like 14 or 20 million dollars went into this and they did it last year. And it's like, where does this money come from? And like, what are they trying to do? And I joked thinking I wouldn't have been surprised at the end because I didn't know it was Hobby Lobby, like brought to you by. The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, Saints the right. Mormons, you know, like something like that. And um, uh, but it's like, man, like the battle never ends. Like, like in terms, this is why the canon of Scripture is so crucial, uh, because it was it like gold refined in fire. The canon was clarified in these heresy debate. You know, all the all the kind of stuff that was going on in the second and third centuries of different ideas of different Jesuses, right? right? So everybody would advocate all these different Jesuses and they'd have little books that they would write and push to, to make their point. And it's like, no, no, not going to do that. So, so, um, so this well, idea of who is Jesus then comes down to this very kind of thing. Like, okay, are we going to determine... Are, are we going to let the Bible, are we determined to hear the Bible and who the God of Israel is I and agree. his covenant purposes? Or are we, like you were saying earlier, Caleb, do I have some fond theological tradition that I grew up with and, and my grandparents and my parents were part of and all my friends, and it just feels like this is reality. And so when I look to the Bible, I just need to make sure it's reinforcing who I am. And in a way, that's the same thing. The Bible using a picture of Jesus that just affirms me as I am. Um, so let, anyway, let me, let me play. kind of went all over there. No, no, no. Let me, I actually, you set me up. You set me up for a nice softball here. Let me play my own devil's advocate. And, and here's the thing is that I think when we talk in broad 
such broad brushstrokes. We uh, we fall into the same trap that uh, people paint us in a lot of the time, right? Uh, no, no matter if it's atheists painting all Christians in some weird light, cult-like, you know, uh, mentality or whatever. Here's the thing. We can only look at individuals. We cannot look at the whole. And, and the reason I say that is because I fully admit that as I look at the church today, as a whole, what I see is more and more liberal, you know, people Jesus loves, you know, oh, well, it doesn't matter if this person's a homosexual, it doesn't matter if this person's trans, it doesn't matter, you know, that this person believes in whatever it may be, name your heresy here. Um, you know, it doesn't, that, that doesn't matter. Jesus loves everybody. It's a universal love of Christ. This is a God that is made in the image and mindset of the person who is creating it. It is not a Yeshua of the Bible. Okay. It's not a God of the Bible that we see. And I think that as we, uh, as we come closer to God, as we, our relationship with the almighty deepens every single day, we start to see the, the God that is the true God of the Bible. What I'm, what I'm trying to advocate for is, I don't think we can just say, well, if you're a Christian, then you must believe that Jesus is this Jesus that you've created in your own mind. Now, I can say that if I, look, if, you, if, if I ask some questions of you and I say, well, what church do you go to? And you say, oh, I go to a Methodist church. Okay, you go to a Methodist church. Um, do you, you know, uh, is, your, is your pastor a lesbian? And if the answer is yes, my, my uh, belief is very clear, quickly going to be, be turning to, well, you're not worshiping the same God that I worship. You're worshiping a God that you've created. And the way I can tell you that is because what the Bible says, what the scriptures teach is that that is absolutely wrong, categorically wrong. And so now we can start to frame, well, you're worshiping a, a Yeshua, a Jesus that is not the, the Bible Jesus. However, when we look at men like, you know, in the, in the previous uh, video that we looked at, you know, there is a want to say there is, you know, I, I can, I'm 100% sure that these men are going to say there is a morality of the Bible that we must follow. And that oh, yeah, homosexuality yeah, yeah. is like not these, part of it. These are the guys I'd love to sit down and have a beer with. Like these are. Yeah, exactly. Cool like I, I'm so, not mad at these guys at all. I'm just, you know. So my point, my point here is this is that when I look at these gentlemen, I say, these, these are covenant members. They're brothers in, they're brothers in the Lord, right? They're, they're, they're brothers of mine. Are they wrong on this? Sure. Of course, you know, I, of course I'm going to say I believe they're, they're wrong on this. Does that mean that they don't know Yeshua? Well, okay, fair, there might be aspects that they're not seeing of the, the Lord that they serve. But I would say the same thing about myself. You know, a year ago, I did not know the Lord in the way that I know him today. Every single day, we, we are striving to come closer to God. And so once again, I think that it's very important for us to not try to just stuff every single person into a box. What we have to do is every single individual is different. Every single individual has their own relationship with the Lord in a way that we don't know. And so I think that it's, a, you know... As a whole, does the mainstream church uh, have a view of Christ that is not necessarily right? Yeah, probably. If we're taking the modern church today and, you know, in 2024, as we record this, yeah, there, there is a huge amount of people that are not seeing the God of the Bible. But is there a very large portion of the quote unquote church today that does know the covenantal God of the Bible? I would say yes. So it, we have to take individuals, not wholes. That's what I would say. Okay. 
That's going to do it for us today. It's been fun. It's been real. We had a good time. If you want to uh, help us steer this show, go ahead and send your questions to chagatorresource.com. Joseph, I saw your question in the um, in the chat room. You're going to have to expand on that a little bit. If you could uh, send us an email, that'd be great. Uh, Hash that question out a little bit more in, in an email and we'll take a look at it. So seahagatorresource.com. You can also send us a voicemail, uh, 253-465-3205. It's 253-465-3205. Don't forget to subscribe to this YouTube channel. I know it sounds weird, but it really does help us. We will see you uh, next week. Oh, that is the wrong audio. What am I doing here? Uh, we will see you next week, Lord willing. And don't forget, Friday, we have Mystery Bible Theater 3000. We hope that this conversation has done at least one thing. That is to glorify our great God and Savior, Yeshua the Messiah. Why? You know why. Because Messiah matters. <laughs> <laughs>